best place for below average stars. Hello there, and welcome to the Star Wars Show, the best place for below average Star Wars. I'm your host, Peter, and today we're going to be reviewing the end of the Clone Wars, the season seven finale, all four episodes, the Siege of Mandalore arc, and I'm joined by fellow host, Christina. Christina, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Yeah, I'm doing really good. Um, I'm sort of glad we took a while to sort of get together and chat about this final arc. I've watched it four times myself now, uh, which is how powerful it is. And I'm sort of glad that we didn't rush to do it straight away as soon as the episode aired. Yeah, gave us some time to think about it and think it over. Yeah, because there's, there's a lot to think about, a lot to take in. Um, it truly is powerful storytelling. Um, and like I watched it again last night, and even then I found new things that I missed. So I think every time you watch this, there'll be something new you pick up on. Even two years from now, three years from now when you're watching it, there'll be new things that you pick up on which is always sort of the awesome thing about Star Wars. It always keeps on giving you things, even when you think there's nothing else left to give. keeps on giving you little snippets. Yeah. Um, so just so that the uh, you guys know, so we are reviewing today the final four episodes, the final arc of Clone Wars, of the final season. Uh, so the first episode is Old Friends Not Forgotten. The second episode is The Phantom Apprentice. The third episode is Shattered. And the final episode is Victory in Death. And these are the Siege of Mandalore arc. Just before we sort of dive in the episodes, Christina, I'm just wondering, sort of, obviously we sort of had this mentioned in Star Wars fandom for quite a few years now. I think it was first mentioned during Rebels. Sort of, obviously, expectation for me was like I was really intrigued by it, uh, very excited to finally get it. Um, now, actually, here, I was so excited to sort of dive in and watch it. And then when I ended up watching it, I found myself um, like I loved it. It was brilliant. But on like emotional levels and deepness levels, I found it to be like an, on an even deeper level and an even like sadder level emotional wise. Like it really did make me feel a lot of things watching it more than I've ever felt watching any other um, Star Wars TV show to date. Sort of how how did you how are you feeling going into it and sort of how did it how was it different from your expectations? I I guess I expected it to just be. A lot more action but I'm glad it didn't go that route it went more like focusing more on Ahsoka and her side of what we kind of already seen in the movies in a way and just every adding little bits to it just as it got closer to the final episode it just it made that final episode hurt more yeah I think I, I found there's a lot of character work in these four episodes especially with Ahsoka especially one more with Bo-Katan with Rex with Jesse um, who are all going to have big parts to play in this arc, but I think that was that was good. Obviously, like the the battle of Mandalore is going on around it, and you do see snippets of it. And I think had this been like a movie, like on the big screen, I think they would have showed you more of that. But like, because obviously it is a show, it is twenty minutes half an hour long. I like the fact that it tied into the human level, like it showed you these characters, spend time with them, which again makes the the events that happen sort of even more impactful on you uh like in an emotional way yeah um so i think just to dive straight in um so the first episode is all friends not forgotten um and the episode basically starts off with 
the planet Yavanna. And uh, Commander Cody's leading the 212th attack battalion across a bridge. Um, they're sort of trying to attack a city on the other side of the bridge and they're having problems. And some of the clones are getting killed. And um, I think you get an absolutely brilliant, almost, well, it is, not almost at all, it is cinematic, the way they introduce Obi-Wan Kenobi here. So there's missiles getting fired and it's killing clones. And one's about to hit Commander Cody. And out of nowhere, sort of, Obi-Wan Kenobi slices the missile in midair lands and then you sort of get this you'll know better than me up when using the wrong name but it's almost like a, a tracking shot comes across kenobi and there's like mist and smoke blowing past him and he's holding that lightsaber and he's looking very stern um very still and it's like it's almost like something out of like a, a war movie and i thought that was a phenomenal way to introduce the jedi in this episode really adds some grace and some um some combat ability to run kenobi's character which this season we haven't really seen because how short the season is we haven't really seen Kenobi battle much what were your first thoughts like when that happened like that was the opening of the episode and you, you've got like Kenobi coming across and doing that it was it was really cool I I really liked it because also Obi-Wan is one of my favorite characters so seeing him do anything cool always makes me very excited but also like this episode didn't have a narrator well not the narration I mean like the uh it did so have it didn't have the fortune cookie? Yes, that thing. <laughs> so if we just dive back to the beginning, so for starters, we got like the, the eight, 1980s Lucasfilm logo instead of the normal, the modern day logo, which I thought was like, for someone like me, because I had the VHS tapes in like the 90s, and they had that sort of just the, the text in green logo. So that's the first of our, our sort of new for the company of Lucasfilm. And then obviously when the prequels came out, they had the, the new Grand Design logo, which is also very beautiful. So when this episode came on, the starters, when that old 1980s logo came up, I was like, wow. Like, And it's just a logo. And as this is how funny we are Star Wars fans, really, that like something as simple as a logo change like gets us all thinking and talking. But like as soon as that 1980s logo came up for the Lucasfilm company at the beginning of the episode, I was like, oh, like this is going to be different. But I was like excited for it to be different. If that makes sense. Oh yeah, same here. And then, like I said, and like I said we did get the we did get the narration, but then we didn't get. Like I said there was no fortune cookies in any of these episodes. Um, instead of um, instead of fortune cookies, we just got part one and the title of the episode, "All Friends Not Forgotten." So even during these title screens, the Siege of Mandalore is not mentioned. Um, it just says part one, "All Friends Not Forgotten." Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, dive straight into the action. Um. And for me, it was nothing where, like, like you see Kenobi saving his um, commander here, and it's a bit like, shows you sort of their relationship and how Kenobi's always there for him. And then, obviously, come Revenge of the Sith, we both know Cody has no problems following Order 66 and trying to kill him. So, again, I, my, heart, my heart was sore a bit, because after I saw Kenobi save him, and, like, the introduction of Kenobi was so, like, valiant and almost like something out of a story like a legend story uh, and then i just thought oh no cody's like obi-wan does this for cody probably time and time again in the battlefield but but come on 66 cody's got no problems in taking this man down who's done nothing but try to save his life mm-hmm. so he gets sort of but then they go back into hiding and um skywalker arrives so they have a plan uh to take to take down the the city really basically skywalker's plan is he pretends to surrender to the droids and the tactical robot comes out that's who they've been searching for um and then anakin pulls him towards him and slices his head off uh we also get to see the um 
the 501st with jetpacks in this beginning episode, which I thought was also really cool. The sort of because this is episode one of the Siege of Mandalore, but obviously this first episode's not set on Mandalore. So the fact that we had sort of um, these clones with jetpacks sort of, to me, said, yeah, like he has some jetpacks because guess what, guys, we're going to Mandalore soon where there's a lot of jetpacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice little visual reminder of like a teasing of where we're going. Like it's coming soon, guys. We're going to show you a little bit here, but you're going to get the big action later. Um which again was a sort of good way to sort of build the tension throughout the sort of episode. What did you make of like um, Kenobi and Anakin sort of back and forth here on the bridge? I I liked it. It was nice to see a little bit of happiness and like a little bit of playfulness before what we we know is going to happen later. And Anakin coming in all cool and arrogant. It's like yeah, this this is Anakin. It, it's it's a bit of fun. Yeah, definitely was a lot of fun. I totally got the fun vibes. Um, at first, I was a bit like. They're making Kenobi seem a bit uh, douchey here, but I think like at the end, Kenobi is sort of the Kongu collected one. And I think you got to remember that this is sort of this is well, it's not the last. This is like the penultimate battle. Anakin and Obi Wan are going to fight together. Obviously, because straight after this, they're going to leave for the Battle of Coruscant, which will be their final battle, fighting side by side. Yeah. Um. So it was so it was good to see them like that relationship as friends and sort of sort of the the, the back and forth between them. I like how like as soon as the battle ends, this is sort of like the precursor. This is just the little intro, um, and it's probably not really connected to what's about to happen for the end of the season. Um, obviously, the call back to the ship because uh, Admiral Yularen, um has received a code of transmission um, from Fulcrum, which was the channel being used by Saw Guerrera in the Siege of Onderon, which happened earlier on in the Clone Wars. But Yularen tells him it's not Guerrera, and that they need to, the Jedi need to get back to the command ship straight away. Um, so I sort of knew what was coming here because obviously we've seen that it would be a big part of that first debut trailer when Ahsoka's like um, hello master it's been a while yeah so we obviously we obviously get that scene next so I like how fast moving this episode was obviously I think it had to be with it only being sort of 20, 20 minutes or half an hour long yeah um, how quickly from that how quickly from like that transmission to Ahsoka saying sort of got more to sort of like Ahsoka and Bogotan turning up on the ship what were your thoughts on sort of Ahsoka and Bogotan when they were speaking to Anakin and Obi Wan about about finding Maul and the plan that they want to put into place? You could see that he kind of wants to help, but you know he has to follow what Obi Wan says and orders and all of that. But it's it's just very bittersweet. And did did you get the feeling that Ahsoka just kind of knows something's going to happen anyway, like? She's like, I, I, and something's going to happen between her and Anakin, and I wish she had more time with him, really. I think we'll get into that later, but I think, like, throughout the, these four episodes, like, Ahsoka gets presented with a few opportunities to sort of send Anakin a message or speak to him, and, like, doesn't doesn't take it. Mm-hmm. So, like, this here is their last meeting, really, and their last conversation, from what we know of, up, and, up until Star Wars Rebels Season 2. The Twilight of, Prentice, Twilight of the Apprentice. Um, yeah. So for me, I thought this conversation obviously went when Tano and um, Tano and Bogatan are sort of laying down the plan of capture more and need help. And sort of Kenobi's like, we'll speak to the council. And Sorga and Bogatan are a bit like, well, why are you talking to the council for? Mm-hmm. And people are like, well, oh, because he's like a he's like a pawn in the Jedi Order. But like, you've got to think. I think Kenobi was the right thing here. So like, in my opinion, if obviously it would be very easy for Kenobi to go more. Yes, let's go to Mandalore. Let's get rid of him. 
because he's the one who killed like the love of my life. Um, get revenge, kill him. And if he did that and went rushing in, it, I mean, for starters, he'd be playing into Moore's plan. That's what Moore wants. But also, like, he would be playing into the dark side because he would be going there for that that sole purpose of revenge. So I think he's very sort of, you can see on his face that he's very, like, he, he definitely feels the pain of Satine's death when they, when they mention Maul. But he makes a decision, almost a selfless act, which is what makes a Jedi perfect, to, like, no, we're not going to go rushing into this. We'll speak to the council, let them know the situation and see what happens. So almost taking the decision out of his own control, which obviously Soka sees his weakness. She's like, oh, you're just going to do what the council say. Like always, like the council, like aren't always doing like the right things. But like, I think like, I was also finally, yeah, Kenobi knows that. But I think with this being a personal matter, I think it's wise for Kenobi not to go rushing in. Yeah, didn't he mention something about not letting his emotions cloud his judgment? Yeah, so Bo-Katan sort of snipes at him. Like, I would have thought you would have wanted to... I thought you loved my sister. Well, thought you had feelings for my sister. And he's like, he's like, I, I do. But like, I'm not going to let that control my actions. And you've got to think, like... Because I've seen him getting a bit of a stick on some of the podcasts. Like, oh, like, Kenobi's like... Just taking, the, just going to the council, calling back to the council and doing what they say. It's not really about that for me. For me, I take it as... Like, if you look at Attack of the Clones, look at Anakin, rushes to save his mom, gets there, she's dead, and then he kills the entire village of Tusken Raiders. And all that does is put him another step on the path to becoming Darth Vader. Yeah. And he never really learns a lesson either. Where Kenobi here, like, probably senses that there's potential for him to do, like, dark acts here. If, he, if, he, if Kenobi rocks up on Mandalore looking for Maul for revenge, like, that, that's him. That's him on the path to the dark side. Um, and he probably wants nothing more than to take more out because, like I said, deep down, like more killed the love of his life. But I think he knows he just needs to take a step back. Like it's not about him or his feelings of revenge or him feeling good because more's gone. Like there's a wider thing happening, like in the galaxy. Um, just a shame they're all blind a bit. So yeah, like I took this Kenobi being like sort of selfless, taking a step back, don't rush in, don't use your anger because at the end of the day, it's only going to get it's only going to take you to one place, and that's the dark side. And as we see, Anakin does do the opposite in Attack of the Clones. And like I said, all it does is put them more on the path to becoming Darth Vader. Yeah. Um, so I sort of agreed with Kenobi here. I'm glad he didn't go rushing in. And I think, obviously, like there's a few other little back and forth. So, like, um, so I got a tip that she learned about Maul uh, being on Mandalore from um, sort of eavesdropping on the Pike Syndicate on Obadiah. Um, and Anakin's a bit like, oh, what were you doing there? Almost like asking, like, he was our master still. And you can tell us always, but like, you know, like I'm a, I'm on my own now. Like I can do my own things. You get that feeling, which I thought was really cool, like a grown up moment. Mm-hmm. And like Ahsoka notes that uh, Kenobi hasn't changed much. Well, says that both Kenobi and Anakin haven't changed much. To which Anakin really replies, "Is that a bad thing?" You get sort of the cool little moments next, where sort of Anakin leads Ahsoka in the main hangar, where he says that the troops have a surprise for her. They're very excited in the back, and you find out that the troops have um, painted the helmets with these Ahsoka markings. The face markings on, mm-hmm. um, which obviously we'd seen in like the trailers and on the promotional T-shirts, but it was just really cool. To, really cool to see it happen. Um, I think this was very clever because it, it shows you like for me, I was like, you see these clones show like their attachment to a Sogan Glad's back. They even like modifying the armor in their own time to look like her. But then down the line, even when Order sixty six gets fired off, like they're probably not going to even think about that. Especially when they're attacking her with that. Like wearing those helmets makes it even worse. Yeah, again, it just shows you like the tragedy of this whole situation is just it's absolutely um 
huge, like the amount of tragedy I suppose would take place. Um, and, and even these guys who, I mean, they do sort of have freedom of speech and free will. Obviously, they have to follow orders, but like under the Jedi, like they are, the Jedi do promote them to be like, be themselves and have their own like beliefs and stuff. And then, like I said, with the press of a button or the sending of a uh, communicate, like these guys are just going to turn on all that. Even though the Jedi have been probably, the Jedi probably been the nicest to the clones out of everyone. The Senate just see the clones as tools of war, mm-hmm. where the Jedi are fighting alongside them, like gain day out. Yeah. And form relationships, form relationships so deep that, like I said, these clones have modified the armor in the spare time to match Ahsoka. And then down the line, like it's going to really hit you in the feels when these guys turn, because you're going to see just how much they do actually care for her. And then with a flick of a switch, they no longer do. Alec also has a surprise for her. Uh, he gives her her two two lightsabers that are now blue. Yeah. <laughs> what What were your thoughts on the lightsabers? I like how he's kept her lightsabers. Do you ever wonder, like, why she didn't take them with her? Sort of, because but then she kind of didn't want to be a part of that stuff anymore. So maybe that's a pretty big symbol of being part of the Jedi. So she just leaves it behind because she kind of leaves it behind like twice now. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I think. I wouldn't know if the Jedi went, like, their property of the Jedi Order. You can't take them with you. Or, yeah, possibly. Because she would have mined them on Ilum and built them with that droid in the previous seasons, who she helps the droid who builds the lightsabers with the with the younglings on that, on during that arc when they get attacked by pirates. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't know if, like, they... Obviously, we don't know, but I wouldn't know if the Jedi Council would have been like, those lightsabers aren't, like, a property of the Jedi Order, so you're not here. I don't know. I, I would like to think they wouldn't have done that because... At the end of the day, like a lightsaber doesn't make you a Jedi. It's probably in the galaxy, it's a sign of being a Jedi to like the normal public. They see a lightsaber, they probably think Jedi, but deep down, it's not. So, I like to think that they wouldn't have said you've got to be them here. But, like, I think your what you've just said there, I think was really cool. How, like, um, so I was probably like, I don't know where I stand in all this, I need to figure myself out. Let's leave these here, I don't need them right now. But here we go, and Ian has kept them, which is shows he's always been thinking about that, and he's been been fiddling with them and made them blue so it doesn't explain how he's made them blue um so for me i would assume we have to change the kyber crystals yeah probably but as we know the kyber crystals you can bleed them and stuff that's how the sid get theirs um so the, the sid get their crystal by they take a kyber crystal whatever color it is and like they pour the hatred and malice and anger and fear into it and like it turns it it bleeds the crystal red so i wonder if he's been able to like these were green and obviously Ahsoka's, that's a colour green. But because Anakin's had them in his possession and been sort of meditating with him and things, I'm going to have to turn blue because they've been around him. Possibly. Which I think could be a possibility, but we'll have to wait until Dave Filoni confirms it one day. Or he's trying to assert his control again over his Padawan. Well, there's a little bit of that as well. So it, it goes to show that, like, he does been thinking about it quite a lot. But also, like I said, yeah, he had been, like, like do you know what I mean? Had, did he change the colour on purpose? Possibly. Or was it just a byproduct of him meditating with them? Um, I don't know. But like probably he did change the colour and he does make the joke that he, he made them better by making them blue. And that's quite obviously um before we can see anything else, the alarms go off and Kenobi runs in. He says Grievous's attack Coruscant. Grievous's attack Coruscant and he's trying to get the Chancellor. He says that the Jedi Council sent um Jedi Master Shakti to be with the Chancellor, but but they can't get in contact with Shakti anymore. So they fear the worst. And uh, Mace Windu requests that Skywalker and Kenobi return to Coruscant immediately, which is the beginning of Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. So uh, I love I love how fast this episode moves. Obviously, we've had that nice moment of the war 
on the planet's surface with Anakin Obi-Wan and Commander Cody. And then obviously, like, before you know it, like, right, we're probably hours away from the beginning of Revenge of the Sith. Anakin quickly trying to go to the plan. And Kenobi's like, well, the conflict really ruled on anything because obviously they're dealing with this attack. Mm-hmm. I like how Ahsoka's like, uh, very disappointing that the Jedi are going to go to Coruscant. And she's like, um, like, oh, you, you're just going to help the Chancellor. And uh, Obi-Wan's a bit more like, like, no, Coruscant needs us, not just the Chancellor. Like, there's a war happening at Coruscant. Like, look at how big that city, like, the whole planet is one big city. Like, there's there's a chance for, like, a lot of like, a lot of loss of life there. So I think Ahsoka's tied up in this whole thing of, I just want to get more. And Kenobi's like, well, yes, we are going to save the Chancellor, but also, like, it is Coruscant is under attack. Like, I mean, the Jedi Temple's on Coruscant. So, like, do you know what I mean? Like, the Jedi's home's on Coruscant, so of course they're going to go and defend it. So, again, like, I think, like, she's... Needs, I think Kenobi deserves some credit here. I think like, they're making the right decisions, although down the line, probably the wrong decisions, but they're making them for the right reasons. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And plus, it's pretty complicated to do anything with Darth Maul. Yeah, definitely. Um, Skywalker sort of says that they'll split the 501st in half, um, promote Rex to commander, and then Ahsoka can go along as an advisor. So it means that Mandalore still gets its aid. At ease, while Kenobi and I can rush off. Um, Kenobi gives his blessing and then they, they, they rush off pretty quickly um, to sort of deal with this and I love Kenobi here because he, he warns that uh, again like think about how much Kenobi must hate Maul because of what Maul's done to his so Maul killed his master Qui-Gon and then Maul killed the love of his life Satine so Maul's done a lot of bad things against Obi-Wan and then uh, but he turns to the sort right here and he says uh, Maul's hard to kill so maybe you should capture him instead I think that's selfless. Again, it shows you how Kenobi is actually a really, really good like Jedi. Like it's a selfless act to say, try and capture him because when we do kill him, he usually comes back anyway. But also, like, Johnny, you know, he's he's killed. He's took so much from my life. But that's not that's not destroy his. So like, I I really I really felt for Kenobi there, and especially when I saw it's been nothing but like, a bit snarky with him about the Jedi Order and the Jedi Council. But I think, like again, yeah, he's been like a selfless, a selfless man. Yeah, and she kills him. That's kind of that's taken her down the wrong path. Yeah, definitely. Like, would it be easier for everyone if they just killed him? Yes, it would. But there's a but there's a better way of doing things. Um, so I wish us Anakin luck in the part ways, and that's pretty much um, sort of the last we we'll see of sort of Anakin Obi Wan. Pretty much, we will dive into it a bit in a bit, but obviously Anakin Obi Wan are now going to be in the event of. Revenge of the Sith, so you can watch what they do in that movie. Uh, and then we are the focus is now with Ahsoka. Um, so the Republic forces arrive with Mandalore uh, and the Launcher invasion uh, alongside the Mandalorians of Bogotan, who sort of leading the resistance of Mandalorians. Sort of, I love this bit when sort of the the ships are attacking and they're flying down uh, through the skies of Mandalore towards the city. I thought that some of this animation was beautiful, the way it shows you the um, the Republic gunships sort of flying through and the, the jetpacks. Obviously, you saw her like um, sort of slicing jetpacks and jumping on people and like flying through the sky very high in the air and then landing on more attack ships and running down them. Uh, it was just like, it's almost like a scene out of like an Avengers movie with like how well this looked. It was very beautiful. And I just think like it's just so great to see like animation be taken so seriously and like you can actually see just how you can see like the efforts. And the talent that's gone into making this show, and like with scenes like this, like it's like you open a payoff where like I would love to watch this on the big screen. 
I feel like I need to. I hope one day, like they do, show the Siege of Mandalore on on the big screen, all four episodes back to back in a cinema. Because I think scenes like that would be absolutely brilliant for like the Dolby surround and like just how good that looks. Um, we get to see a sort of fight quite a bit here, which obviously the last sort of the previous arc, the Ahsoka arc before, so you sort of didn't have a lightsabers. So we see her do some sort of martial arts and some hand to hand combat, but we don't really see her fight much. And then here we see her, she's got a lightsaber, she's fighting these Mandalorians, the ones um, like Gore Saxon's Mandalorians, who are Death Watch, who are now like Maul's Death Watch. Um, we see Ahsoka really uh, handle herself really well. She's kind of a badass. <laughs> yeah, she is. She's a badass. Um, it reminded me, seeing how like in control she was of the situation, she was never panicked. She was using the Force and using the lightsabers. She was like grabbing hold of jet people on jetpacks, riding with them then slicing and then jumping off landing on gunships taking out more people with jetpacks it reminded me of like luke skywalker return of the jedi when when he turns up at jawa's palace when he finally gets his lightsaber on the sail barge and he's just taking everybody out and he's not using a blaster the blaster's not even on his waist and you're like this man's different from luke skywalker of a new hope and from return of the Je- uh, from empire strikes back like this man is almost he's almost past that he's been from like boyhood into manhood it, like that's the feel I get when I watch Return of the Jedi when you see the way he handles himself on the sail barge and like when he, he's got like a plan of action and not he's not like half arsing it or hesitating um, I think here you see Ahsoka like you see how much she like controls the battlefield and like takes control of the situation and just does things she's obviously thinking about it but it seems like she's not even thinking about it because it's just split second decisions and how sort of in control of the situation she is. Like it, it does show sort of that switch from sort of girlhood into womanhood and just how, how in control like of a situation she is and like how 100% a thought process is 100% now. Like she's not second guessing things. She's like, no, I'm doing this and it'll get this effect. And how confident she is, she's oozing confidence at this point, which I think was brilliant to see. And again, great to see that sort of, do you know I mean, sort of that, that hero's journey that was sort of saying that she's now like here we are and then in, in the last arc she was a bit hesitant to sort of help the help the sisters and stuff and here like as you can see she's pretty much telling that like Obi-Wan I'm going here to help this we need, we need to help Bogotan and then obviously she ends up getting away and then when she gets there she's still the same she's like 100% driven knows what she's doing this this and this she's a very capable warrior it's almost like if she knows the outcome of like each each movement she does before it happens um, and her faith faith's like 100% there in her actions um but I thought it was just, just great to see. Which is a pretty good thing to see, because since it's the end of the whole series, in a way, to see her growth from all of these years finally come to fruition. Yeah, definitely. I think, like, obviously for fans of Ahsoka who've been there since 2008, who've seen that sort of grow from sort of the, the snippy, troublesome apprentice into, like, into a formidable apprentice are now seeing her here. Obviously, she hasn't got Anakin. She hasn't got Obi-Wan. Do you know what I mean? She's the, she's the top Jedi on site, really, and she's owning it. She's doing absolutely phenomenal, and she really has sort of, like, obviously, she's not the master, but it's like the, that phrase, like, last time we met, I was but the learner, but now I am the master. What Vader says in um, A New Hope, like, she's not saying that, but here she's showing that, like, no, like, I'm, I'm very capable. Here I am. Don't need Obi-Wan. Don't need Anakin. Like I'm here, like leading this attack, and I'm fully cop. I think it's like really great. I think obviously fans who've been with the Soga since since sort of day one, two thousand eight, um, they're getting that payoff right here. And especially for like 
it's great to see such a payoff in a woman character. Like I said, uh, I've mentioned Return of the Jedi. We get that payoff of Luke Skywalker, the hero's journey. Obviously, he is the main protagonist of um, of the original trilogy. But obviously, here we've got Ahsoka, who's like the lead the lead female in this series. And like, as I said, like in sort of this arc, she's the main character. So it's great to see them deal with that really well. And like I said, show a, show a woman sort of on that hero's journey, like going from girl to woman and like, do you know what I mean? Taking control of our fears and making the right, de- making different decisions and they're doing the right thing. And like I said, commanding the battlefield. I think it's like definitely, definitely a, a positive thing and a very natural thing to, to show. I think they do a great job here doing it in the story. Um, so we sort of get this awesome battle in the sky. She ends up landing on the city and there's a lot of troops there firing at ashes, blocking all the bolts. And then um, obviously both handing that land next to her and then they start advancing on the city. They take the city pretty quickly. Obviously we find out it's sort of Maul's plan because Maul goes hiding in the uh, tunnels underneath the city with his troops and the Prime Minister of Mandalore, Almec, ends up getting captured. Uh, what did he make of Almec's uh, suit here? How he got armored up, ready for the battle coming? Uh, I like it. I thought the colours were mine. There's a bit of Boba Fett. Like, not 100%, but just a little bit subtly. I thought maybe that was the design thing. Maybe they thought, obviously, he's the first Mandalorian armor that we see in Star Wars. So I thought maybe they were a bit, let's show this Prime Minister to sort of let's, let's tie the color scheme in a little bit. Oh, with the green and stuff, yeah. Yeah, sort of the green and the browns and the golds. Obviously, it's a lot grander than Boba Fett's Obviously, this man is the Prime Minister, but I thought, I thought the color palette was maybe the color palette was maybe chosen to reflect that a bit, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, and he's got a very similar helmet too to Boba Fett. Yeah, so I thought I thought I maybe got that that feel. He's overpowered pretty quickly. Stands he's gone a little bit, but sort of Bo-Katan captures him. Yeah, he's probably not wearing that armor very much, so he's pretty easy to take down. Yeah, you can definitely tell he's the leader who's probably drinking a lot of wine and eating a lot of food, and not really doing much fighting himself. Um, yeah. So we basically end up with um, essentially the sort of took the throne room. Maul's not there, and sort of Ahsoka goes down to find Maul in the tunnels, and she ends up sort of walking right into Maul's trap. Maul set a trap in the tunnels. He knows the Jedi will come straight down there for him. Uh, so as troops who just within the tunnels get killed, and she's like in the middle of a cross section, and then um, you see the Mandos, like sort of the Death Watch Mandalorians and the Maul paint. We've got the blasters on her, and then sort of Maul comes out of the shadows. I love how Maul sort of um, comes, so Ahsoka's very well lit in the centre here. She's very much the centrepiece of the whole, this final piece of the story for this episode. And then Maul sort of comes out the shadows and he's a bit like, uh, he's very displeased to find that it's not Kenobi. And then so that that episode ends sort of on the cliffhanger. I love this episode. I thought it did a great job of like getting us to Mandalore and moved very quickly. Did a very good job of um, setting the timeline so, like, as the Siege of Mind was happening, Anakin and Obi-Wan are trying to save the Chancellor from the Invisible Hand at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith. So you know exactly where we are. And then I said the cliffhanger ending really just get us ready for, like, this is going to be four episodes, superly well-connected. That's four episodes that you can probably watch as one movie. Yeah, because you don't want to see the same stuff we've already seen in the movie, just animated. Yeah, so that's why I was glad. I thought we might get that, but then I'm glad they're referencing it as a timestamp because that helps us know where the whole story is for the whole galaxy. But that's all we need, really. We don't really need to be re-shown. Obviously, we've only got 22 minutes to half an hour for these episodes. So if you were to waste some of that time um, showing you other things that we've already seen, 
you would sort of lose some of this news story. What did you make of um obviously Gar Saxon was back here? Um obviously he is in Rebels. He's like an Imperial Mandalorian. And there's obviously Ray Stevenson was back to voice him as well. I thought that was a nice touch getting him back to, to voice Gar Saxon. Gar Saxon's sort of right hand woman, Rook Cast, was voiced by Vanessa Marshall, who um obviously is Harrison Dula from Rebels as well. So that was really cool. And the tactical droid at the beginning was voiced by uh, Donald Faison, obviously f- from um, obviously Scrubs, but also obviously plays Hype Faison in Resistance. So I thought that was some really cool, really cool um, voice casting uh, choices there. Yeah, it's cool to see characters again too, and how it's all connected. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know if you've read um, Son of Dathomir, Darth Maul, Son of Dathomir. I have not finished it. So you sort of see why Maul has these Mandalorians so what was Death Watch fighting for him I think it's definitely worth reading in fact I think it would be really cool to maybe watch the episode we've just talked about then read Son of Dathomir and then watch The Phantom Apprentice after it which is the next episode I think that would be a good way to enjoy the story yeah and get more a little bit more backstory on things definitely yeah because I mean we'll just go ahead into the next episode when the next episode is The Phantom Apprentice and it just picks up directly where we left off so like so that's trapped by Mourner's forces in the uh, lower levels of Sandori, which is Sundari, sorry, which is the capital of Mandalore, I believe. And so it activates a beacon on our wrist while it's just stolen more. So Commander Rex can find her basically with more clones. But Maul's like um, not happy, it's not Kenobi. And Maul also mentions Skywalker, which is like, oh, the two had a uh, more important mission. Mm-hmm. More sort of realizes something here. You see in his face, he's a bit like, oh, I wonder where they've gone then. And then he seems to think, oh, this is they've gone because Darth Sidious has activated his plan to take control and end the Jedi. Which he seems quite surprised about because I think Maul probably wasn't expecting it to happen so quick, like happen now, it's probably happen to happen later. But before you can get any more information, I mean, Maul does mention Darth Sidious here, which is very important because Ahsoka learns that name. But then Rex and his men turn up to save Ahsoka. Um, and Maul and his men sort of run off into the tunnels to hide again. Mm-hmm. And then the next scene's really cool. So we're sort of back at the Sundari Royal Palace on Mandalore. Um, Bogotan's there, and she's chatting with Kenobi uh, through like a hologram. She's seeing the huge the close, siege is going well, uh, and the efforts of the clone troopers are, are really the clone troopers are really working hard, and probably wouldn't be this way if they didn't have the clones. But they do see that obviously Maul's on the run, still haven't captured him yet, and they need to catch him quickly before like this good progress is undone by that. And this is when Ahsoka inquires about the name series to Kenobi, and this is where we get another timestamp. So it's quite good. Obviously, Soka brings up the name she's just learned from more cities to Kenobi. Uh, and then in turn, Kenobi shares that information here with her, actually, which again goes to show that Kenobi isn't just a pawn of the Jedi Council. Um, in my opinion, I think Kenobi's his own man, uh, his selfless man. So here, he shares he shares everything the Jedi Council know with these people in the room about Darth Sidious. It says, um, Darth Sidious is the Sith Master, who's played both sides of the Clone Wars from the beginning. Kenobi first learned the name from Count Dooku, but with Dooku's death at Anakin's hand, the chances of learning more from him are lost. So we learn here that that battle on the Invisible Hand's sort of observation deck has happened. So Anakin's killed Dooku and they've rescued the Chancellor and they're now back on Coruscant. So we sort of timestamp of where we are in the story. That's happened now. Ahsoka asks if Anakin could support them, but Kenobi probably, this is where Kenobi does send the other people away. And Kenobi says, oh, Anakin's on a special assignment with the Jedi Council to observe the Chancellor Palpatine. And Ahsoka was quite upset with that and said, why would the council ask him to spy on his close friend? 
Obi-Wan agrees that it's unfair to ask Anakin to do this. Um, and he hopes that Ahsoka will talk to Anakin for him. Obi-Wan also says here that like, the, the council aren't always right, he says here, which again goes to prove that he's not a pawn of the Jedi Council. Like, you know, I mean, he, he sees that the council don't always do the right things. They might always have their best intentions, but they don't always make the right decisions. Um, and he says, you need to speak to Anakin because obviously like, we've asked him to do something that's not not very nice. And I think it, it, it took me back to that scene in in Revenge of the Sith when like the Jedi Council put Obi-Wan in the position where he has to ask him. And he asks him in a very nice way, in conserved way, but like it's still like harboring. But you can tell Kenobi's upset to be telling him, and you can see that that upset here on his face as well. That like he's obviously already had that conversation. You can see the the concern on Obi Wan's face as he's telling Ahsoka about it. And then basically, what happens is there's like attacks happening in Mandalore. Rex interrupts the meeting, um, and Obi Wan's like, "You better go." And then basically, at that point, on the Sundari on the level C deck, uh, clones got reports that Maul attacked them. There's one survivor, and she and the survivor tells us that Maul has took Jesse, the Ark Trooper, alive, as Maul could tell he was an older clone. So he's obviously fought more with Anakin and Ahsoka, so he knows more. And deep in the tunnels, we see that um, sort of Jesse's held by Gar Saxon of cast while Maul questions him. Um, I love this scene where Maul's questioning Jesse, and it took me right back to um, The Force Awakens. When Kylo Ren's interrogating Poe Dameron, uh, and I love that like bit of poetry how it was reminiscent of that. And um, obviously, Maul's using the Force; he's got his hand out reaching, he's, he's in Jesse's head. So Jesse's probably not really telling him much, but because Jesse can't resist for much for too long, obviously Maul just gets all the information out of his head using this dark side manipulation and dark side interrogation technique. So like as soon as he lifted his hand up, I was like, "Oh, this is not going to go well." I knew what he was doing because I'd seen it in the Force Awakens of Kylo Ren. And then at that point, um. Maul sends Gar Saxon to eliminate Prime Minister Almec, who's also been captured by the Republic, so that he doesn't give them any more information. I think he senses that Almec can be a little bit of a, a snake and a rat, and so if, if Almec thinks it'll get him out of trouble, he'll tell the Republic anything that they want to know. And that's when you see the busy interrogating Almec, and Almec tells her that um, Maul was after. Obviously, he's heard Sidious, and then he mentions Skywalker, but obviously Garson, Gar Saxon sorry, shoots him and kills him. Um, before you can give any more information, and Bogatan chases him. We get a cool fight scene here on the elevator system of the palace uh, with Bogatan and Gorsak, which I thought again was like, I don't know, it was a mix between like Mission Impossible and the Avengers movie. I got the feeling of like, you know, I've seen him Mission Impossible one way, he's like on top of the lift and he's hacking in. Yeah. I got like those vibes watching it. And then also, obviously, and I got the like mass vibes of like a big Avengers movie the way they were brawling in there. So it was, uh, that was really cool. Captain America, yeah. It's always cool to see the other people fight and it's not just Jedi fighting. Yeah, especially when, like, obviously we've been teased since, like, the beginning of Star Wars, really, how powerful, how capable these Mandalorians are. And so, like, in scenes like this, we really get to see it. Like, Gar Saxon and Bogotan go at it. Uh, two very capable, two very capable um, soldiers. And it was, like, a brilliant battle. And obviously, um, I think Gar Saxon knows he can't get away, so he sets it up where Bogotan's going to make a choice, save our own life by holding the lift up, and he manages to get away. And like I said, he's he's done his um he's done his job because he's killed he's killed the prime minister Almec. I thought like yeah when sort of when Almec's dying, he says the word Skywalker to Ahsoka. I reminisce me of when um Yoda was dying, and he says like there is another Skywalker just before he dies. Yeah. Like the way the line was the way the line was delivered, in sort of the musical cues, 
was sort of very similar. I thought it took me right back to that, which I thought, again, Star Wars is poetry. And that, that very much took me back to that moment. How do you feel about, obviously, Maul? Maul's had a vision about Anakin. In, what do you mean? So, obviously, like, so um, Al- Almec here shares to Ahsoka before he dies that Maul, Maul claims to have had a vision about one person called Skywalker. That's why not only was he leading Anakin there, but he uh, Obi Wan there, but he, he knew that Anakin would come with Obi Wan, and he wanted to kill them both. It it's interesting that Maul might know, like what's happening or in the future of how all this kind of goes down. Yeah, I, I find it concerning because obviously well, not concerning, but obviously Maul Maul obviously learns through his vision about like what city's plans are for Anakin. But I find it cool. And interesting of how like the cosmic force decided to give more that vision like as if maybe the force like if we give more the vision more might try and stop it from happening maybe it won't happen yeah because especially when he's when he's talking about like oh so he's the apprentice i'm not gonna really be the one that's a part of this he talks more about it where he's like um he calls like dooku an old fool and he thought that he hated he hated dooku for so long but then he learned that, like, oh, Dooku's the same as me, just cast aside, me and Dooku cast aside, waiting for this man, Skywalker, who he's groomed from childhood, to be his proper apprentice when he rules the galaxy. And he wants to rid, he wants to rid Sidious of, his, of that. Because if he wasn't good enough, then no one is, and I'll, I'll, rid, you of your, I'll rid you of your apprentice. See, I found it really interesting that the Force decided to, I mean, we don't know how he got the vision. Maybe he's touched a hologram like he does in Rebels to get a vision, or maybe... I said maybe like the force has come to him and give him a vision because usually the force works and it gives you visions it's to like the force is doing it to sort of drive you towards to doing something doing a good act usually um so maybe like the force is saying oh like this guy hates the supreme chancellor so much hates Sidious so much let's show him what might happen and it's most probably going to happen and it might motivate him to react and maybe stop it from happening which is what Maud does try to do so it's funny how like the cosmic horse would turn to such a like a vile individual, like an evil individual, to try and get something good to happen. Yeah, I found that very interesting. I would love to I would love to speak to the story group about that, about like what the case is with that. That's because I'm just I'm just hypothetically saying that, I don't know for sure. But if the force has done that, that's very it leads to a lot more questions about the force, I think, and what the force can actually do. So after the Gar-Saxon estate, we then go back to Mand- uh, Maul, who's having a holocaust with the Shadow Collective leaders. So obviously Maul's head of the Shadow Collective. The Shadow Collective is essentially a group of crime syndicates that are sort of working together under him. Uh, I really enjoy this because we do see the Pikes. We do see um, Crimson Dawn. Obviously, um, Dryden Voss is in the hologram as well. So linked in straight to Solo which I thought was really, really good and powerful to do. And again, Star Wars is poetry, subtly linking everything together. I thought I thought it was really cool that we did see Dryden Ross. And then we also see the, um, I've forgotten his name, but there's another member of the Shadow Collective. He's been in the earlier seasons of Clone Wars because um, they were on Mandalore for a bit. It's a Black Sun. It's Black Sun, it's their leader. I can't remember his name. You're probably right with that. Um, he's there as well. And essentially he tells them they're going to hide in a bit because... Um, the galaxy's about to change because Cosy, since he spoke with Soka, knows Kenobi and Anakin aren't there. He senses that. Um, essentially, Maul doesn't know what Order 66 is, but he knows that something like that's going to happen that's going to change the galaxy. Um, so he tells the Shadow Collective leaders, 
to sort of go into hide and operate in the shadows a lot more than they already do just for now and we'll see what happens with the chaos more also thanks saxon and cast from freedom from sidious's prison um which again is direct linked to the um the son of dathomir comic book so more's more like in the prison in son of dathomir and he's, he's mandalorian death watch troops come to save him to break him out and during this comic as well he also uh, ends up fighting dooku and teaming up with dooku against the republic and then goes back to fighting him again. So he, so he does learn from Dooku like, in this comic book a little bit and learns who he is and what he's about. And like I said, that's why he's a bit like, sort of doesn't hate Dooku so much now because he knows that Dooku's the same as him. Just an apprentice plucked out of nowhere to do Darth Sidious' bidding. But really, you're not going to be there for the long haul because Sidious' plan is Skywalker and it has been all along. So he references the comic book here as well. So I think so you could have, like, we've had a solo reference with um, Dryden Voz, and then we've had like a, a link to the comic book here as well, Son of Dathomir, like in the same scene, basically, um, which again just subtly ties the Star Wars galaxy together so much, which I think is so good. And then sort of on the surface, we see sort of the uh, the clones escort the civilian population uh, into shelters, and then that's when sort of it goes back to the throne room, and Darth Maul's in the throne room, he's seated there. Bo-Katan attacks, and Maul sort of... Uh, uses the force to move our blaster shots away, which I thought was really cool. Really cool to see that type of force power. And then he sort of uh, repels it with a force choke. And he claims that he wishes to deal with the soaker alone. And then as a show of good faith, he's got Jesse with him, and he releases Jesse as well. But while that's happening, sort of Saxon and the forces of the Mandalorian commandos, who used to be Death Watch, attack, which means that um, the clones and Bogotan have to go and deal with that. And that leaves the soaker alone and all in the throne room. Um, obviously Maul's learned about Ahsoka through Gordon Jesse's mind and he's sort of like oh you were driven away from the Jedi Order because of the hypocrisy of them I was the same with the Sith and he's trying to like see how they're very similar he's trying to get her to join him as usual Maul he's always trying to get someone to be underneath him which I find quite tragic when you think about how he feels now because of how Sidious tried him and all he seems to want to do is get someone underneath him of course to show that like he's not really a, a good person he's cool he can fight well and looks awesome but He's he's not he's not a nice guy because he doesn't doesn't learn from that. He does not like oh well, I felt that way so I won't treat someone else like that. He's like I'll, I'll do the same for someone else. So Maul wants Ahsoka's help to Sidious and Ahsoka agrees to help him. Um, but Maul's got to answer one question and he should want to know obviously what was in his vision with Anakin because obviously he learned about the vision from Almec. Um, Maul replies that he wanted to draw Anakin a man to strike him down. He thought the chosen one's destiny would be Sidious's new apprentice. Soka refuses to believe it and writes her lightsabers. Uh, she calls him a liar. Maul draws as a one. And he decides to get the power of one last lesson. This is quite tragic because obviously like, Maul's telling the truth. And like Maul might not... Obviously Maul's telling the truth based on the vision he had. So maybe the vision could be wrong. And obviously like Ahsoka knows Anakin and probably would like to think he wouldn't turn the dark side. But like Maul's sort of telling the truth here. Yeah, because we haven't really seen anything that would showcase... Anakin just fully going to the dark side yet, especially from her point of view. So as an audience, we've seen little things, but from her point of view, like definitely not. And she's been away from him for like at least a few months at this point, and then only seen him on that ship at the beginning of the last episode. So I think like it's a bit tragic in a way. I think if Maul went about it a different way, if Maul described it in a different way, saying I brought him here to kill him because he's going to become evil. If more described it, oh, well, I had this vision and I saw this, this, and this, that's what I saw. Like, so I might be like, oh, all right, 
I might ruin that a bit more because the way Moore says it so vilely. Obviously, she doesn't believe him. Um, so the firefight outside the palace intensifies, and we get to see some cool clones versus Mandalorians, and the, the Mandalorians are winning a bit. And then obviously, um, Bo-Katan arrives with the Night Owls, and they turn the tide in the battle outside, which was really cool to see. And then we have uh, this lightsaber battle take place in the palace. I mean, obviously, this is the lightsaber battle that is motion captured with Ray Parker's mall. It's also been part of the, it was mentioned a celebration of the panel. And obviously, it was a, there's been a little like couple of minute documentary about it put on YouTube, which is worth watching if you haven't seen it. Um, but you can tell straight away the way more moves. But A, it's definitely Ray Park, and B, um, that it's not the normal animation we used to. Like it is, it has been. That one just moved move the character like Ray Park. Like it is Ray Park moving, um, which I thought was awesome. Yeah, the motion capture is really good. Uh, it's almost like. And almost like glides, the animation glides past you. Like, you know, it's almost like, I don't know, like, it's almost better than perfect, if that makes sense. It's more realistic in a way. Yeah, like, I thought I was watching something like it almost felt like more real than real, if that makes sense. Because the action sequences we're getting in this show are really good. Do you know what I mean? So I already see them as being really, really good and real. So when you get this, it seemed like more real than real, or like the way to describe it. And it was like, it was magnificent. I mean, the battle is really awesome. I think the battle is great. So some cool little quips here when Maul tells Ahsoka that she has Kenobi's arrogance. Um, and Ahsoka like, slightly replies that uh, she's probably got many traits she's inherited from her masters that Maul would hate. Obviously, there's like there's some cool stuff here. So like um, the windows smash on the palace quite a lot. Mm, yeah. And like for me, like that was like when the smash, it's a bit like, like the, the, the galaxy's about to smash. If that makes sense. So obviously, like Order sixty six is about to happen, and Palpatine's about to become Emperor in the next, like, well, within the same day as this happening, really. So like, when that glass smashes, and like, they make a big point of it smashing, and the smoke coming into the room before they start fighting. To me, I was like, this is like sim- symbolic of like the galaxy's about to smash. Everything these characters know is about to smash. I thought it was just really like, really simple but powerful sort of imagery. Yeah, and very beautiful. Yeah, very beautiful. Um, and then I found out like when they start fighting, obviously that was like a, a brilliant battle. Obviously, more goes to run away. Soka chases him. And then again, when they're fighting, when they go up into the rafters of the city, so the city has like a glass roof over it. Um, and more again smashes the glass there to try and get out. Um, so again, there's more glass smashing there, which is again to me says like, all oh, right, like the, the galaxies we know what's about to smash. Everything we know is about to be shattered. And then for me, like during this battle at the top. When sort of Maul's got a stuck on the on the beam, and you know he's got to slice the beam in front of him, and that's what you heard that with. But because he's Maul, he never learns. He's got to always have the last word. He's got to always he loves to talk, um, and like I said, gives her the opportunity to sort of get behind him. Then she obviously like gets him off the beam. Um, I love how Ahsoka saves him though, like follows Obi Wan's advice, doesn't let him fall. She holds him in the air. The clones have gone up, and the clones sort of get. Uh, Catch him with like uh, Gatling gu- uh, not Gatling guns, with their uh, grappling guns. So like, um, like ropes. In the me, like it's very much like a spider's web. He got caught in a spider's web. Also, the roof, the roof, which is glass. The struts are like a spider's web as well. Which to me, obviously, like more came back as a spider. Fills are doing all like he had like spider's legs when he was like being all when they find him is like when he's mad more when they first find him, and then to find that this is how he gets captured like as a like a spider. It's like the it's like the the uh, the predator becomes the prey almost in this scene. 
just with a simple like imagery of like a web. So like I got that feeling of like he's been caught in a web, and then when the when he gets wrapped around with the ropes from the from the gatling gun, from the grappling gun, sorry, um, that was like getting tangled in a web, which I thought was just really simple, powerful imagery. Uh, what were your thoughts about the battle? Is it the best battle you've seen in Star Wars? Yeah, I, it's one of the best ones, and I uh, and it's shot so well, and just the the choreography was just really really good between the two of them. Yeah, I think I think I think the choreo the choreography was awesome. But I think the way the way the thing's shot is like, I mean, if if you'd shot that with actors, like and done live action. Like it would probably be up for like best duel at like the MTV Movie Awards or something at the end of the year. So I think like we really have to give credit to this team because the, the, they're producing movie quality, like set pieces and and, and battles, um, but with animation, which I, which I think's like not really been done much before. Certainly not at this level anyway. Yeah, because it's it's all mocapped and motion capture in a studio and. That's that's why you can totally tell it's Ray Park and his moves. Yeah, definitely. So sort of after they capture Maul, sort of that ship's gone. That was there to pick up Maul from the roof. Um, and it ends with a sword looking up into the, the gap in the roof. And that's how it ends. So it ends on sort of no actually having Maul's been captured. As I said, we've had confirmation now that Maul's had the vision of like Anakin turning the dark side. And he's given that information to Ahsoka, who sort of just disbelieves it straight away. So the next episode, which is called Shattered, which I suppose ties right into what I was just saying before about sort of the glass breaking and the galaxy not being the same ever again. Sort of this episode is called Shattered. So it sort of takes its name from that imagery that portrayed at the end of the last episode. So this episode starts with, um, obviously, the Siege of Manhole has been won. Sort of Bo-Katan greets Ahsoka and Rex and congratulates her. And she's quite impressed at the caption more. But she is wary of the cost on the Mandalorian people and does say that, like, these troops need to get off the planet soon. Otherwise, like the people will start to rise against the the clones. Bogotan wishes she could accomplish more than war, um, and the Soka sort of says that uh, she's a strong leader that the people need, uh, which sort of ties into Bogotan's arc coming in soon in Rebels. And the Jedi Council are waiting to speak with Soka, and she goes into um, sort of one of those one of those sort of barrack chambers, similar to what Anakin went to in the first episode when he messaged Padme. She goes into one of them, and um, in the meeting, Mace Windu's there with Kylie Mundi with Yoda, and I always get her name wrong, with like a female now with the Jedi Council as well. I, Isla? Ayla? Yes, I believe, yeah. Is it uh, Isla Sicaria or something? Sicaria? Yeah, something around there. She's the one who dies on Felucia, isn't she, I think? Uh, I think so. So, I think, um, obviously, Windu here says um, he's sensed the plot to destroy the Jedi. So this is the conversation that happens in Revenge of the Sith. With the Jedi Council and when they decide to go and uh, arrest Chancellor Palpatine. I thought this was really good to do. Um, obviously, the other Jedi haven't sort of joined in yet. Um, but he sets out to destroy the Jedi. And they decide that they must um, sort of arrest him if he's not going to relinquish his emergency powers. To which we knew he says that line from the movie. And the Jedi Council have to take control of the Senate for a safe transmission. And Warner warns them, as he does in the movie, by like this this dark line could lead but to like not very nice places um, the council then greets Ahsoka he informs them was capture Yoda thanks her for the Republic Ahsoka says um, she just did her duty as a citizen and Yoda says not as a Jedi 
and then uh, Ahsoka says not yet, which I found really powerful from Yoda here. So like Yoda's sort of saying here that like come back almost like do you know what I mean? If she'd said oh as a, yeah yeah as a Jedi, he probably would have went come back. Um, but she said uh, not yet. And I I like that she says not yet to go show that she's not like she's not hundred percent done with like being a Jedi. She just needs to figure things out. Right, so she hasn't left the gentle talk. I do bad things. She's left and done nice things of anything. So I really enjoy that scene of like, um, of how like Yoda sort of tries to hint that she could come back, and she says not yet. So she hints at like, yes, I, I will come back at some point, I believe. And obviously, we know she won't come back to being a Jedi, but like she does come back to being involved in the war as a Jedi would in the Civil War of the original trilogy, if that makes sense. Which I think is like quite. A powerful and a symbol of hope here. We then get a uh, Mace Windu here with a line <laughs> where um, sort of a sort of asks what sort of what 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 the next portal plan is, and um, Windu says um, this is a conversation for the Jedi Council, not for not for a citizen. Sort of uses the words just said against her here, and I just think you come across as an absolute twerp here, Mace Windu. It's funny, like Mace Windu. I remember, like, I really wanted a Mace Windu figure, like during like the prequel trilogy coming out I couldn't find one anywhere and I finally got one in Disneyland Paris in the shop there like their version of Tatooine Traders and I got it and I loved it it was awesome but then like since then like as an adult I, I just find Mace wouldn't do just a problem <laughs> like do you know what I mean he's so like he's very arrogant and also like he's very like he's, I would say I don't know I, do you think he's angry? Spiteful, maybe. Yeah, so that per- I think anger is a strong word to use. So like maybe not, but spiteful. I think is perfect. That's a per- yeah. So spiteful, yeah. Like I just think he are just like if he just let Anik- if he just let Ahsoka stay, then like Ahsoka probably would have like shared with him what Maul said about Anakin. And they go getting their heads up because he's like dismissed that. And then obviously the other the other Jedi vanish one by one, but Yoda stays on the call and he says, uh, "Have you got anything else you say?" Anything else you need to say? Maybe a message for Anakin. And um, Soga thinks about it, pauses, but doesn't. Doesn't say she'll tell him. Tell him later. Yeah, because maybe she would have said what she wanted to say if he was a little bit nicer. Well, it's quite tragic. So, like on the way to the call, she's like, "Oh, is General Scout on the call?" He's like, "He was there when I. I was there before I left." Type of thing. I think. Well, she's since left the left the call because he's probably having his bit now where he's um. He'd be, work, he'd be with the Chancellor and the Chancellor will be telling them the stories of the Sith. And when he pulls the lightsaber on him and then Anakin goes running at the Jedi Temple. I think that so that conversation with Sidious is probably happening as this is happening now. Um, so she misses that opportunity. Though maybe she thinks that the other people aren't going to believe anything that she tells them. Possibly, yeah. I think so. Especially the way Windu goes on there. But I think if Windu would be nice and said, oh, well, listen here, Ahsoka. You've done a good job. So you deserve to listen to what's next. I think she might have been a bit more forthcoming. But, but I think because he's been an absolute arse to her, like she's just like, oh, well, like, you're just, you're just how you always are. Another thing I forgot to mention, we've got a, a timestamp in the last episode when, when Ahsoka was talking to Obi-Wan through the thing. Obviously, Obi-Wan said he was on Uta, about to leave for Utapar to track down General Grievous. In this hologram conversation here in this episode, Windu does say that they've, uh, Anakin's going to inform the Chancellor Obi-Wan's assault on General Grievous has begun. Which is uh, what happens in the movie. Obviously, Anakin goes to tell Gre- uh, goes to tell Palpatine that Obi Wan's started to engage Grievous, and that's when Palpatine's like, "Oh, 
I'm surprised I didn't send you on the mission. And that's when he lets that, that he's a Civil Lord and then Anakin pulls the lightsaber on him. Then Anakin doesn't know what to do, so he leaves and tells goes and tells the Jedi Council, doesn't he? So that that is all about what happened, like as as this is going on. So so obviously conversations took place, um Sorg and Rex sort of say goodbye to Bogatan, Ursa around in the night owls. Um and more than a specialized force wheel that prison from an ancient era, which looks like a coffin to be honest. <laughs> I thought like a coffin. Like a, like an Egyptian coffin. Like you put a pharaoh in. I thought that's what this device looked like. Some balls in this device. Um another thing was like when he um I got like Hannibal Lecter vibes of Maul here. So Maul's in this coffin where he's got a face mask on over his face. He's locked in this coffin where he can't get out. You can see out of it, but he can't like and it's designed for force wheelers to keep them imprisoned. Um, as he did in back the, the Mandalorians have had big problems with force wheelers from like the old Mandalorian wars that happened hundreds and thousands of years ago. Obviously, Bogotan says this is the last one because um, Duchess Satine did try to get rid of the other ones. This is the last one. But yeah, I got proper like Hannibal Lecter, Silence of Lambs vibes uh, when this coffin come out and Maul's inside it. Like, you know, when they're transporting Lecter and he's got the face mask on and he's in the vest, he's in the, um, what they're called, the vest where the cabby hands tied. Uh, like a straight jacket? That's the one, straight jacket, sorry, not, but yeah, like, I, I very much got that vibe here. And I found like also, so the sort of, they bring Maul out and put him on board the ship they have the conversation. So you get these horror vibes from Maul. And then I found the soundtrack was very much like different. It was, it was like, it sounded a bit like Blade Runner, the soundtrack. And I also found it be like the way, because of the way the soundtrack was, it was creating a quite a feeling of like tenseness in me. And I haven't felt that type of tenseness watching a movie before. Uh, the last time I felt that was when I watched Sicario. Oh, Yeah. With how the soundtrack makes that movie, te- do you know what I mean? It, for example, it'll just be like a, it'll be a, it'll be a high angle shot of cars driving in Sicario, right? But because of the way the music is, you, know, you feel quite tense watching it as if something's about to happen. So I got that like, reminders of that. So again, here yeah, you see Maul's in this coffin, he's getting wheeled out. They're going to put him on the ship but because of the soundtrack. I just felt like really tense. I was like, something's going to happen. Something's about to happen. And obviously, as we know, maybe not in this exact scene, but in the galaxy as a whole. Anakin and the Jedi are about to go and face the Chancellor and he's about to he's about to make Anakin Darth Vader. Um so like that that's that tenseness I felt I felt immensely through this use of the soundtrack. I think they're they seem to be going more electronic with their music, starting to almost feel Lynchian in a way too. Yeah, definitely. I think it ties into that ominous music when um like during that scene in Revenge of the Sith, like after like when Anakin's walking with Palpatine and and Palpatine tells him he's a Sith Lord. Like there's a, that similar type of feel of music there. It's very different from normal Star Wars music. And then obviously when when Anakin comes back and um, takes off Windu's hand and he gets thrown out when when um, Sidious knights Anakin Vader, it's uh, sort of that ominous music as well, just before the Imperial March players. So it's sort of very similar to that as well, which ties into sort of that that feeling there. So from that point, um, sort of, it goes to on board the Venator class Star Destroyer. So heading towards Coruscant, um, and Rex and Ahsoka on the bridge. Um, so I make some good points here. She says that, um, I like the Jedi are keepers of the peace, not soldiers. But like ever since she's been a Padawan, she's been a soldier, and it's such like a, it's it's hundred percent true. So this is a this is a Jedi who's been brought up the temple and been told war's bad, but as soon as she got made from a youngling to a Padawan got put in Anakin's care like she's been a soldier fighting in the war yeah and to me that's why the Jedi are doomed because 
I mean, they get involved in the war for the, for the right reasons, because they have to, like, to help. And obviously, they don't cause the war, but, like, that's how Palpatine knows he traps them, because he knows as soon as they get involved in that war, that everything they've ever stood for is going to be, to- going to be tore down. Uh, and like they say, the younger generation of Jedi are just, are just all their experience and is war, total war. Um, so he sort of tears them down from the inside, if that makes sense, which is sort of very, very tragic. Because it's a bit like, if, not, if you've got a student and you've taught them not to do war, but then they're just going to do war when they become a part of one. It means down the line when you're like, oh, war's bad, don't do it. You'll be like, oh, we've just done it for four years, not a problem. Do you know what I mean? So like, essentially, like, yeah, as soon as the Clone War starts and the Jedi get involved, like the Jedi are doomed from that point on. And I think like, that line from Ahsoka. Again, it's Mace Windu's line actually copies keeps the piece on soldiers. But then she says, I've been a soldier since since I've been a Padawan. Nothing but a soldier. And like I think when hearing her say that really did lead me down the thing of like, oh God, like as soon as this war started and they got involved, they were, they were, they were doomed. Like um but we do get a cool thing where sort of Rex is talking about the war. He says, Oh well, the clones like the war because if the well not like it, but the clones have mixed feelings about the war because if the war didn't exist, they wouldn't exist. And Ahsoka says, um the reporter couldn't ask a better soldiers, nor her a better friend, and sort of salute each other, which I thought was a very powerful scene. Um, especially when we know what's next about to happen next as well. A very powerful scene. So yeah, next obviously um, they're in hyperspace and Rex like, I'm going to go and look at the, the battle report from. I'm going to go and get the briefing from the Republic. Do you want to come and look? And she's like, no, no. Probably says no because she's probably feeling bad about that since what Windu said to her. Because he sort of thought I might tell you, I might have an update on Kenobi's battle on Udapar against Grievous. She's like, no, no, you go, I'll wait here. So Rex leaves the room and that's when he shows you Maul's face first inside his coffin. And you can see him like feeling things and then it shows you Ahsoka's. And then they do the voiceover of like, um, of uh, Mace when Anakin encountering Darth Sidious. And Anakin being like, what have I done? Um, and obviously Order 66 has begun to happen. And that's what they can feel. They can feel all the death across the galaxy. Which is like really, really sad and tragic. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, and I think that like realizing that Anakin is in danger, so I wish just to tell Rex. But obviously, inside that room, Rex has got the community open and he's got Sidious in front of him. Who issues on a 66? For me, I found something really strange here is that um, sort of Rex referred to him as Lord Sidious, not. Chancellor Palpatine. So to me, it was just like an even more, um, even more dig at the Jedi. Because it was like, yeah, like clones know I'm a Sith now, and it's the Sith who are going to be who are going to destroy you. So that was like another kick in the teeth for the Jedi. I find it cool how Rex is like fights the program a little bit, and he urges us all to find fives, and then he starts shooting at her. Um, she sort of takes Rex down, bangs his head on the glass panel. Um, she's blocking all the lights up, uh, all the blast up shots coming at her while Rex is sort of uh, knocked out a bit on the floor and then she realizes she's going to get overpowered so she sort of dives through the ceiling of the war room and goes on the run hiding um, and Rex puts his helmet on Rex is like destroy all the escape pods uh, we need to find her he also says to uh, execute more so I found this like yeah I, found, I thought it was really cool how Rex managed to like give a sober a clue but also tragic how like ultimately he couldn't stop that programming and how convenient that they had a heart-to-heart, like, right before it. Yeah, definitely. Like, it's, it was just, like, so, so tragic. Made me think maybe that heart-to-heart they had is why he was able to resist a little bit to give her a clue. 
because he, he just had a hot, hot moment with that, hadn't he? So maybe because of that, when he got the order, he was able to hesitate just for a moment to give her the clue about fives before he opens fire. Maybe if they don't have a heart to heart, if she doesn't have such a care moment with him, maybe just just open fire straight away. Which again goes to show why you should love people and why you should care about people and be kind to people. Like I said right here, it, it gives gives her a split second to get the information she needs. So Sora sort of goes on the run and uh, she finds our former Astro Echo pilot R7. So that was really cool. Um, she tries to wake him up. He wakes up. Um, and then two other droids wake up GG in Cheap, who's essentially just a chopper, which I thought was really cool, the way he talks and stuff. Obviously, he is voiced by Dave Filoni as well. But I like how like, the droids are just like, oh, like, yeah, the clones are going nuts out there. So we're just in here hiding type of thing. So obviously, you can't hear what they're saying. But that's the impression I get. Is that the sort of like, oh, yeah, the clones have gone nuts out there. And we're just obviously here. And obviously, all the way out through Star Wars, like the droids have been like, usually assist the heroes and are usually good guys and good souls, if that makes sense. Like, like, like R2D will do anything for anyone. So we'll say through PO, you might complain about it, but you can still do it. Do you know what I mean? All, all throughout the saga, R2D and say through PO, like, although say through PO does complain about everything, like, they still will do anything for anyone to help the situation. So I think, like, here, obviously, she goes to R7 and ends up getting GG and cheap as well. And the droids are like, oh, yeah, we'll help you because, like, the clones out there are just are going berserk. We don't know why. Um, so that was a really cool tie in the message of Star Wars about how like you can almost treat the droids almost as like servants and stuff. So that's what there's that's what they're built for. But 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 you should always treat people nicely because I sort of did treat R seven nicely and did treat the other ones nicely and she's got a reputation. The, the droids are like, oh yeah, we'll we'll help you no problem at all, no questions asked. Um, same as Luke, obviously like you treat R two D and say to people nicely. So guess what? They'll do anything for him. And it goes back to a thing of like can treat people nicely and, and, and they'll be nice to you. Which is like the message of hope that you get from Star Wars. So I thought this was very George Lucas. Like the fact that I just turned to the droids to help and the droids like, oh yeah, we'll help, no problem. Like I, I thought it was, this was so George Lucas, it was awesome. Um, I, think, I, think, I think George Lucas, any one of his favourite episodes is the one where uh, is the, the D-Squad episodes from Clone Wars. And like, of, of course it is. Do you know what I mean? Because it's, it's so wacky and weird. And his favourite episodes when the droids are stuck in the desert, I think, with four droids. Um, so again, here, like, I, I just made us think of George when these droids rock up. Um, sort of, R7 helps search through the computer and finds the, the file in fives, uh, obviously through the information Rex giver. Uh, that Camino scientist, Nalasi, who will learn to be an evil little conniving, nasty person in the uh, Lost Missions episodes, Um says that obviously like we've presented a report to the Jedi Council and the Senate and they're happy that it's uh, the, the, inhibitor, the inhibitor chip led to Five's death and that's what made him kill kill the Jedi because Five obviously is a, is a clone whose inhibitor chip went off early and he killed his Jedi general in battle so a big warning sign went off there from the Jedi but they get this report back from the Camino and Science Committee and uh, them and the Republic sort of agree with it so it's a big cover up basically on the Camino side and then there's a sort of a grievance that Rex puts in. Um, Rex expresses concern that the inhibitor chips may have had a known purpose, as Fives insisted during those episodes. It's worth noting as well that while this is happening, the Soak has set them all free, which I found, I thought the scene was brilliant again, like talking about how this, we spend a lot of this arc with character and not just all action, action, action. So when Maul sets, when the Soak lets Maul out, Maul's like you can see he's put up buzzing. He's like, "Oh, you come back! Oh, you come back for me!" And you can see in his face he's got a, he's got a big speech planned about how she's going to be his apprentice and all that. And then she's like, "No, I'm letting you go because I need a distraction. That is the only reason why, like, there's thousands of clones on this ship want to kill us. 
so I'm going to let you go so they can chase you as well. And then Moore's like, all oh, right. He's a bit like put, put off by that. And then when Moore's like, can you give us a fighting chance? He says to Asura. Essentially insinuating like, you've got two lightsabers there, so give me one. And just like, you don't understand. Like, I'm not rooting for you. Like, you're you're the bad guy. Like, you're just, I hope you get killed by the clones. But for me to be able to, for me to have any chance of escape, I need you to run right over there. But I'm not giving you anything to help you. Like, no way. So I thought that was I thought it was really good. I'm glad they didn't team up because um, once you got there, I thought, oh, are they going to team up? I was like, I hope not. Yeah, it was better that they go their separate ways. Yeah, I think align with. Yeah, and I think it would have been easier for her to team up with them. Like easier for them to get the show for team up. I think she was like, that's the easy way out. But like, guess what? No, like you're a bad person. I'm here because of you. No, I'm going to I'm going to take the harder path, but it's the better path. Like the the easiest path is always the right path. If that makes sense, um, to sort of sort of gives you that message here. So yeah, so sort of sort of uses the droids to set a trap for uh, Rex, where they trap him in a hallway and they shut all the doors, and then um, sort of the droids electrocute Rex and they take him to the medical bay, where they're trying to find the chip in his head. They can't find it, and that's when a soldier um jumps in the medical bed and grabs sort of Rex's face and sort of meditates with him and just saying, I am one with the force and the force is with me. I am one with the force and the force is with me. Which obviously is direct link to Rogue One in the uh, on the uh, Guardians of the Wills, which I thought was uh, took us by surprise, but like a ni- but a, but a nice surprise it was awesome. So it goes to show what these Jedi know about this. So maybe it is more of a Jedi thing than a Guardians of the Wills. I mean, we don't really know much about the Guardians of the Wills or what they do. But to me, it was like, oh, they're very connected to the Jedi then, if the Jedi know this as well. So she meditates with Rex, and then the chip shows up, and then she's like, get the chip out of his head now. And R7 tells the medical droid to get the chip out of his head. And then I believe that the episode ends with the Soka sort of lightsabers on, facing the door. The clones in the side are cutting through the door to get to them, and Rex is getting the chip out of his head. So another cliffhanger ending before going to the finale. I thought this episode was like so good even though like we didn't get many battles like the previous episode but we got so much character development and character moments on a deep level that it was just um just phenomenal i think with star wars like obviously like you've got you know explosions blaster fire lightsabers um spaceships flying around it's like the movie's very much an adrenaline film movie but underneath star wars like even the original is like is these characters and it's these characters that we love. And that's why Star Wars is as big as it is. That's why we love Star Wars, which we do. Because there's these characters that we can get to know and identify with and love and hate and root for and root against. It's very much based on like mythology that way, rather than just being a sci-fi extravaganza. Where there's also, I mean, like, it's almost like it's it's not just a Michael Bay movie, if that makes sense, if you get that terminology. Like, like there's, there's that level of it, that aesthetic, where it's, awesome to watch and beautiful to watch and a lot going on and it's all inspiring that way but then there's that deeper level of character all through Star Wars which is why we keep coming back to it and why we get attached to it and I think this episode is, was a lot more of that going on than battles which was really cool um, and again we got to see the Sokka's moment with Rex just before he turns um, and then the Sokka's moment with the droids and then again the Sokka's moment with Maul when she was like no, like I'm not rooting for you. I'll let you out to cause a distraction. I'm not getting your lightsaber. You go that way, and like, I'll, she didn't say it, but she was almost like, "I hope you die going that way." Like, do you know what I mean whatever? Like, you go that way. And I'm conscious of what I'm doing. 
So like that's that's what I really done about this episode. Um, how did you feel? How did you feel about this episode being like the penultimate episode? Uh, they definitely laid it on with how emotional I'm probably going to feel for the next one, with just how everything went. A little bit more like heart to heart with Rex and Ahsoka, and just the impending doom of it all. They there's no way for them to stop what's happening. And I, I think it was done very, very well. Yeah, I think definitely. I think, like, they've, they've set it up where, obviously, I don't know, it's sort of, like, tragic that Ahsoka can only really save one clone here because, obviously, she hasn't got the power or the ability or the bodies to, like, reach out to all the clones to get the chips out. So she's obviously, like, gone to Rex because that's her closest friend and also he's the one who hesitated in killing her at the beginning. But, like, deep down, she probably wants to save them all. But guess what? Like, no. Like, you've managed to get Rex, and this might work, it might not. But she's risking everything on trying to bring Rex back. Uh, because because she won't, refuses to kill him. Which I think, is, again, a very selfless act. Like, it would be easier for her to just kill Rex and kill all the clones and get off get off the ship. Like, if she was just killing them, she would probably breeze through a lot of them. And as long as she was careful where she went, and hid as well, got a good chance of getting off. But, like, do you know what I mean? She's, she's, not, she's not ready to do, to do that to them. The next episode, Victory and Death, the finale of Star Wars The Clone Wars. So as you know, when this episode starts, Order 66 has happened. So when this episode starts, we're probably at the bit where Kenobi's probably reached the order on Bail Organa's ship. And they're discussing what's happened, so it's probably where we're doing that movie. And then at the same time as that's going on, here we are, so guys getting Rex's chip out of his head. So Rex comes to with chips out of his head, which is really, really good. Obviously positive news for Ahsoka and for us as fans. Obviously, she asks if he's all right, and he's like, "Like, yeah, I'm fine," type of thing. And also, in that moment, like, she hasn't got a lightsabers up, so if he comes to and he's not fixed, like, she's just he's just gonna shoot her. But just very much like this is like the last chance for me. Like, I've put everything on this. Like, I want him to be okay. I hope he is. But like, if he's not, he's not, type of thing. So yeah. Um, so as that happens, uh, obviously she finds out he's all right, so that, that's a positive thing. She tells him it's like his boss has to stun stunned like the, the troops are going to kill her and she's like no like we don't want to hurt them like they're not acting because they want to that because they've been told to while this is happening sort of Maul is on the loose um he's having some like Vader-esque moments Maul from Rogue One you know the you know, the hallway scene from Rogue One with Vader mm-hmm. Maul has a salon and Maul's walking down the corridor and the clones are shooting at him and he's pulling the wall panels off the wall so he's using them to block the blaster bolts and then, like, he uses, he uses the force to throw one of the ball panels and it, like, decapitates two clones. And then he sends another one. It, like, it sandwiches a clone at the wall, almost cutting a clone in half. And then he pulls the clone's arm through a blast door that he then shoots. And the arm gets chopped off by the blast door just so he can steal the, um, the comm link so he can find out. He can listen to everything that the clones are saying to each other so he knows where to avoid and where to go. And um, so he's very thought out and very evil and very meticulous in what he's doing. And he then, he then heads to the hyperdrive room where he destroys the hyperdrive. The Star Destroyer comes out of um, hyperspace's breath, taking that scene. Oh, it's it comes out of hyperspace, and it's just like, it's just it, it's smoldering wreck, gliding through space. I thought that looked really beautiful in a horrible way, if that makes sense. But say, just seeing such a big, like, powerful class Star Destroyer, just as a mess, just gliding in the dead of space, was uh, very powerful. But yeah, so like, sort of, essentially the, Clones go through the door. She uses the, the force to push the door panel away, push the door, takes out a few of the clones. They jump out. Ahsoka's blocking the shots of the 
of the blasters with the lightsabers, but aiming them away from the clones so she doesn't kill them. And just covering Rex while doing so, and Rex is shooting them with the stun. So the idea is that we're going to stun them all, not kill any of them, which again is probably that's harder to do than killing them. But Soka here is doing the selfless act of, you know what, I'm going to make it harder for myself. But like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to kill these clones because they're they're not acting on their own, on their own um, initiative. Which I think again shows Ahsoka as being like, we talk about selfless Jedi. Qui Gon Jinn, Kanan becomes one. Obi Wan is one, I believe. Um, selflessness is the true act of a Jedi. Um, in my opinion, it's an act that the Jedi have sort of lost away in a bit come the prequel trilogy. But here I would see Ahsoka being that selfless, that self making those selfless decisions, proving that she is actually probably one of the best Jedi around. Even though she's technically even though she's technically not a Jedi, guess what? You're actually showing the best Jedi feature here. You're being so selfless. And she sort of says that um sort of they sort of on the run and they end up getting to the the sort of the control room of the hangar bay. Um, and she's like, get the shuttle ready. The droids are doing that. Open the hangar doors. And that's when another door opens and all these clones come running out and block the way. So it's like, we're not going to kill them. And Rex is like, not being funny, but like, they're going to kill you. Like every single clone is going to kill the Jedi. Every single clone in the ground either like, wants to kill the Jedi will be in order to do it. And she says, uh, and Rex also tells her that like, the, the clones are prepared to die doing it. And so the Soga says this really, really powerful line, which it says, um, those clones might be willing to die, but I'm not going to be the one to kill them. Uh, which again, sort of that selflessness of like, I'm going to do this the harder way, but like, I'm, I'm not killing these clones. Like, not not doing it. So Jesse's been very serious here. He's been very like, obviously we saw in the last episode when he got captured and how he didn't want to tell, tell Maul any information. He was really upset about telling Maul how Maul got in his mind and how he felt really, felt he betrayed us so again. He was really upset about it. And then here he's like, no, we need to kill the sort of tunnel. And I'll kill you as well, Rex, if you're helping her. Like, go to show how much that flip switched. I think his dialogue he has designed to make you not like him. Because obviously you, you watch him all through the series, you love him. And then obviously because of what he did to try and... You felt sorry for him in the last episode with Maul. And Maul was interrogating. And here I think his dialogue's very much like designed to make you go... Make you root for a sort and Rex rather than him. So again, they go down. Um, sort of Rex tells him that Ahsoka's not even a Jedi. She left the Order, you know this. But Jesse's like, no, like we need we need to kill her and I'll kill you as well. So that's when Ahsoka uses the um, get a lightsaber back out and they do the sort of do the block and shoot combo where Ahsoka's blocking all the boats and Rex is shooting them with the um with the stun on these gun settings and they're trying trying to get the ship. I thought it was really cool how um how cheap in R seven and GG are helping out by the lowering the decking inside the hangar bay, making the clones fall. I thought it was really cool. And again, it goes show that, like, obviously, it's just a Soka and Rex, but it's not actually, it's a team of five. It's a Soka Rex, GG, R7, and cheap, because, guess what? Because the Soka was nice to these droids in the past, like, they're helping out now. And without them, without them, these clones wouldn't have fell down those holes. And without them, they wouldn't escape. So it goes, like, without them, they wouldn't get off this ship. So it goes show you how important, like, these droids are and being nice to them is, which, again, goes back to me, like, George Lucas. So, yeah, so um, I think R7 goes to the ship to prime the ship. And it's cheap and GG who are um, who are helping out here by controlling the floor panels that lead to the um, maintenance base underneath the hangar that the clones are now falling down. Um, so they're trying to get there. Maul also gets in. He makes a run for the ship. So Ahsoka, Maul's about to get in the shuttle. And I noticed this. I didn't notice this the first few times I watched it, but I noticed it like last night when I watched it. Ahsoka like runs for Maul here because he's about to get in the shuttle. And Ahsoka gets so close for him that like Ahsoka's about to kill Maul. 
because you see the panic in Mole's face and he uses the force screen to push her away and pushes her down the hole. But like she's so close to him, she's about to, to end him. And he sees that and he panics, and that's why he uses such a big force push to sort of to get her away. So I like that how it's been like like situations change now. Like, guess what more? Like if you're in the way, I, I will kill you now because it's like I'm not rooting for you. I'm not working with you. And I just need to get off this ship like as quickly as I can, type of thing. And I like how like she had like she had him beat there, so she's beaten twice, technically, in like the same day. Which again shows us how powerful she is. But more force pushes that in panic uh, down the hall. Looking again, the droids are there to help, so the droids send the rope down, which is hanging on the rope, and they're going to pull her back up. Maul gets in the shuttle, attempts to take off. Ahsoka finally gets up. The shuttle's flying, and Ahsoka uh, uses the force to pull the shuttle back, which again reminisces me of Rise of Skywalker when Rey and Kylo are um, pushing, pulling the transport ship that the thing has Chewbacca in between each other. So again, it was like a bit, bit of Star Wars poetry there where it reminisced on me straight away about that. Just pulling on the ship, just holding it back, and she's actually holding it in the hangar bay as well, showing just how powerful she is with the force. And I love this next moment. Is that like, I think at this moment she's filled with so much anger for Maul, like when she was about to slice him, like she's about to kill him, and then now she's just trying to bring, bring the shuttle in. But then uh, Rex gets hit with a blaster bolt. Nothing major, just like superficial damage. I think in that moment she realizes that, like, she has that 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 almost like that Luke Skywalker one from Return of the Jedi, where like he turns the lightsaber off and throws it away. Like she sort of lets go of the ship and lets it fly, turns around and protects her friend Rex. Because while she's holding the ship, she can't be defending Rex with the lightsabers. So she so she makes that decision to let go of the ship, like let that go. That's anger, and that's more, and that's not important right now. Let that go. Because I can't get back in the ship anyway. And if Rex is about to die, let that go. And then she comes back around the front of Rex. The lightsaber starts blocking again. And they're back doing the uh, block shoot combo, uh, being the team. Which again, was, I thought was a very, like, that way of letting go of anger and letting go of hate. Reminds us of Luke Skywalker, Return of the Jedi, and throwing faith in your friends. Just turn back around to help our friend. And Rex's faith and has been repaired. Uh, which I thought was, like, really powerful. And again, it goes back to that scene. That scene what I had where, like, she says, oh, you're an even better friend. Um... Like that emotional scene we got. And then here, like, she's defending her friend now. R7 dies, sadly, gets shot. Um, so that's, that's a sad moment because he's done quite a lot of, um, a lot good. Well, R7 dies as Rex gets shot. And that's why she sort of decides to let the ship go and save Rex. So then basically what happens is um, Maul gets away, gets out the hangar and goes in the hyperspace. Where's he gone? We don't know. Probably death in the air, I'd imagine stay hidden for a bit. So Soka and Rex have to get off the ship. They don't have the shuttle anymore. So they drop down in the maintenance bays looking for a ship to fly. There's a couple of uh, Arc 170s in there that are broken. Uh, there's a couple of Y-wings that are broken. And then they find one that's being repaired. So Rex, um, Soka throws Rex using the force onto, it, onto the Y-wing. Um, she's defending the ship with the lightsabers. Um, she then gets, uh, she catches one in, the, in a gauntlet, a wrist gauntlet, I think, catches a blaster bolt in there. And that's when she realises that we need to get off now and then uh, there's an explosion as the ship's getting dragged into the orbit of the moon I think it's a gravitational we don't know which one but it's a gravitational orbit of the moon and obviously the ship's out of hyperspace and no engine so it's getting pulled in as she's about to jump onto the ship there's an explosion and the wiring falls out the hangar with Rex in it and then she falls out on her own sort of free falling so Rex manages to get the engines going on the ship um, on the wiring and so it's like free falling but she almost takes control of the situation again just on how good she is. And she's like needing a forward like paragliding almost. And then she ends up, um, she tries to get on the ship but just misses it. 
So then she's like running down the fallen Star Destroyer. The run at that class Star Destroyer, which is really cool. Waiting for our opening, because she knows that Rex will try and save him. Rex is, he's flying towards her to get in a good position. He gets in a good position and then she jumps. Manages to land on the Y-Wing and he levels out. He levels out as the Vanilla comes crashing down at the surface of the moon, which I thought was just like really climactic, powerful, tense scene. And again, shows that like, you know, she came and saved Rex. He got the chip out of his head and saved him and she was about to, she was about to keep Maul there, but then let Maul go to protect Rex. And then Rex, he has repaid the favour by he's he's saved her, where she would have felt their death. So it goes short that friendship and faith in your friends like isn't the flaw. It's actually a very powerful um very powerful feeling and it's probably one of the best things you can have in your life is people who will do that for you and you do that for them and if you have that and if you have that you'll always have hope which i think that message that george was trying to portray from day one. Oh, for sure sorrows is always about hope yeah definitely i think it's it, you, you can forget that sometimes i think with like obviously as i said with the sort of with the visuals and like how awesome things look um but I think that like like that message is always there if you choose to see it. So then we then cut forward a bit in time to where um sort of they've landed the Y wing in front of the ship, and you can see that Ahsoka and Rex have actually buried the clones they've found. Um, so they've buried them in front of the class Venator, and they've got sticks on top of the sticks sticking in the graves, and they've got the clone helmets on top of the sticks. And then as the camera pans back, you see Jesse as well, which is quite sad because obviously you see obviously how Jesse was trying to fight Maul off for her and was very upset that he Maul got on his head to then like even though Jesse was being a bit nasty then during R66 obviously he had no choice because he was getting all right to do um, he asked Ahsoka has given him a proper burial I like this I noticed how next to the Y-Wing as well um, R7's like parts are there so I'm going to have to rebuild R7 that would be cool if they did um, obviously she buries the clones she's wearing a hood a cloak which I thought was really cool um, and then she's sort of looking at her lightsaber um only one lightsaber actually here. Um, did you get the impression that she'd lost one somewhere else or that she kept the one? Uh, yeah, I think so. So so I didn't see her lose one at all in the battle. And even watching it last night, I was keeping an eye out, seeing if she lost one or not, to which I couldn't see her lose one. So I'm assuming she's kept one. I don't know. Maybe she lost it. We'll have to find out. Um, maybe that she kept one. I do like the way she's sort of looking at the saber. And you can tell, you can tell her feeling that like, feeling the past and everything that's happened through looking at it and then she just sort of she doesn't really throw it away she just lets it slip out of her hand onto the floor and then walks away so that was a really sort of powerful powerful moment um and then we get sort of the fast forward in time which is told by the arrival of an imperial shuttle which as soon as i saw this i was like i don't know who's on that i know who was on that and we see two imperial snowtroopers and then we see the Vanador class site, which is now covered in snow. Um, and then we see Vader, and Vader walks up and picks the lightsaber up. He knows exactly where the lightsaber is, uh, I noticed as well, which to me sense feels like he could probably sense Ahsoka on the saber. And he picks it up and turns it on, um, which is very powerful. And then we get, as he turns the lightsaber on, the camera pans up, and we see the shadow of a bird flying overhead, and it is the, uh, the Convore, which usually flies around when Ahsoka is near. In Rebels, the convoy was obviously the bird of the sister, sorry, not sister, the daughter, sorry, from the um, Mortis Arc. And they've been with Ahsoka since type of thing. So yeah, like, what did you make of this ending? Uh, bittersweet, because, yeah, like, he ignites his, her lightsaber. I'm sure he's remembering her, but who knows what he's thinking. 
through that. And I like that it was very just all silence while it, it just showed him with the lightsaber, her lightsaber. I guess that's kind of her way of like, I'm leaving, I'm leaving this all behind again. Um, cause I, I mean, who would want to be a part of like the Jedi if they're just, like, cause all she's seen from them is kind of being a soldier and not what they should be. So I, I kind of too would be like her just like, yeah, I'm going to go find a, maybe a different path and figure out what, like the sisters from a few episodes ago, like what they would need versus like what they think they are. I mean, nothing as well as obviously the Jedi now most hunt, most hated and hunted people in the galaxy. So if she carries that lightsaber around with her, like she has a target, if people see it because the shoe matches the Jedi because she has one. Do we ever see her again with one? So with lightsaber, so she gets, when she appears in Rebels, she has new ones. Okay. Oh, those are the white ones, right? Those are the white ones, yeah. So I wonder, maybe she has it hidden or she buried it, the blue one, because we only saw one at the end of this one. Yeah, possibly. Maybe she did keep one and just got rid of one. We'll have to speak to Dave, Mr. Dave Filoni or the story group to find out the actual facts of that. Um, I know she gets her crystals from Inquisitors. She defeats some Inquisitors uh, without using a lightsaber in the Ahsoka novel. Um, and then she she um, heals their crystals and they become white because they don't go back to their original colour. So that's how she gets the crystals for her new ones. For me, it was very much the fact that I went there. So he obviously must have got must have got word that the crash site was there. So those troops are in Imperial armor now. So I'm guessing this is a few years later, like at least. So there was obviously the ship was probably lost because it came out of hyperspace, wherever because they got dragged out because the engines broke. Um, so I think obviously must have got word of that Venet or he knew Soka was on it. So he's when they to investigate whether it be for good or for bad. Um, maybe he's gone there to tie up a loose end. Obviously trying to find out where she is. Um, obviously she's probably long gone to be honest with you. Um, but the fact that he's looking for us quite. Um, quite deep, quite emotional, quite scary, because if he is looking to kill her, he's trying to find out a type of that loose end. Yeah, it's quite... Because I wouldn't have, like, the report come to the Inquisitors, and then he's decided to take that one himself. Like, I'll investigate this one myself, because it's my loose end to tie up type of thing. I don't know. Because he doesn't know she survives until that Rebels episode when he sends her on the ship. So obviously here he sees the lightsaber and sees that she was possibly here, that the ship crashed. So you might be thinking... I'm hoping, hopefully going to find a body here where she's died in a crash. Obviously doesn't, so it keeps the question mark open of is Ahsoka like or dead? But yeah, um, just to finish up then, what was your overall thoughts for the whole Seeds of Mandalore uh, as, a, as a story? I really liked it. I enjoyed it even though I mostly kind of knew where it was going to go. I mean, it, visually it's, it's just so beautiful. Like they've improved so much over their with their animation. It, it was a really good way to send off the Clone Wars show in this way of kind of open-ended in a way. I kind of like that. Yeah, I think for me, like, I think the story was like, I knew that we were going to get a lot of pain because of, obviously, the Jedi Pain or R66 is not very nice and set up that way. And I was joking with this, I was joking with this with my, with my, like, fiance Louise. She was like, because she was, when I was watching the episode, she was in the room. She was like, "Oh, like, why are you watching it when you know like you're going to get upset?" And I'm like, "Well, like, I know we're going to get upset, but like, we need to watch it." It was almost as if like we knew what we were going to get, but we still watched it anyway because we had to know. But we're, but as fans, we put ourselves through that emotional turmoil. <laughs> that is 
the Siege of Mandalore. Um, so yeah, I thought the emotional levels of this was like off the charts. Like it was really sad, really emotional, really pulled my heartstrings. Even watching it again a few times, those emotional beats still hit you the same. So it's not as if I've seen it a few times and I was sure the shock factor I'm used to it. Like they still hit you the same, I've noticed. Um, which is just goes to show how powerful and emotionally driven the story is and the performances are. Um, for me, I like how it was open-ended. Obviously, we've only had 12 episodes and they finished the season. Um, Lucasfilm does have the animation department, which at the moment, Lucasfilm Animation doesn't have any shows on the go officially. Uh, since the Resistance is finished. So to me, that says to me that they're working on something. They're definitely working on a show right now. I just haven't announced to the public yet. Otherwise, you've got a full department if a company not doing anything, which they will just get rid of the department. Do you know what I mean? So I think that's good. Uh, where that new series is, I don't know. Um, could it be a Rebel spin-off? Could it be Vader trying to find Ahsoka, where this one ends? Maybe. Could be anything. Um, but the open-endedness I took is not just open-endedness for like, the Ahsoka Vader story, but also open-endedness for like animation. I feel they can go anywhere at any timeline next which is quite fun to sort of speculate because these are speculation wide open. Yeah, or it could be a whole new series that has nothing to do with any of this. Who knows? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I would I would love more series set in the, um, the sequel era would be cool. I think get some more story and information about that era. I don't know we've had Resistance, but I think have one set like more in the action. The actual, like, the sequel trilogy timeline would be cool. Obviously, how, how did you... Obviously, I know, like, for example, the first the first arc was the Bad Batch arc. And obviously, like, we were thinking maybe the Bad Batch might turn up in the Siege of Mandalore. But obviously, that, that didn't happen. wonder what happened to them. Well, yeah, I mean, for me, I'm thinking, did they become, like, a special Imperial task force? Or did they resist? Did they not have chips because we're different and they've joined the rebellion somewhere? I haven't been told that story yet. Yeah. I think it's one of two things. I think those guys, like... Those guys can't sit out the war because of the love of war, as you find out in that bad batch arc. So I think they've either become special task force for the Emperor, or like I said, they managed to escape Order 66 and they're fighting against the Empire. I think it's one or the other for me. Yeah, I'm hoping they survived. They were kind of the special ones. Well, it's like when he said when um, in that first arc when um, when Hunter's like, we don't know who gets who do you get your ass from? He's like, oh, well, we don't really know. Like, I get. I get in my head go straight to the fact that like the Chancellor's given them orders directly. And in that case, if that's happening, I think that they're probably reporting directly to the Emperor now. Which is tragic, but like the bread for war, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Well I imagine we'll find out at some point down the line. Maybe. Or probably in a book. I imagine it'll probably be in one of the books mentioned somewhere. Yeah, I mean I would love to be in the comic book, so like the Canaan comics deal with Order sixty six really well. And the way the clones are like look in the comic book is brilliant. So comic books I find really lends itself to the story of the Clone Wars and the story of the clones. Um, like I really enjoy the visuals and the storytelling that we're in that kind of comic book. So and again, if, any, if anybody listening wants to more Order sixty six Jedi Purge pain, I recommend uh, reading the Kane comic book alongside the Siege of Mandalore and alongside Rise of Skywalker. Not Rise of Skywalker, sorry, Revenge of the Sith. Um, and it deals a game of Order sixty six on like an another perspective um all very sad still and all very tragic but it, it, again it, it beats home just how just how tragic this this scenario was for the galaxy and the jedi do you think obviously with the animation style being at its best ever for this film animation and like also arguably it being some of the best looking animation 
in TV full stop. Do you think sort of the the pressure's on for the next show to be just as beautiful? Uh, I think they kind of, they better understand how to make it look this way. So I, I have full confidence it'll probably look just as good in whatever else they do. I think it depends. Cause I, I obviously Rebels, I know some people are like, oh, Rebels looks rubbish compared to Clone Wars. But like, obviously Rebels is a different design aesthetic. Like Rebels is designed around the concept art of Rob McCauley pretty much in the original trilogy. And if you if you're familiar with Rob's work, then you see the design mm-hmm. so, like it's on purpose to look that way. So like, I didn't have a problem with Rebel. Obviously, it looks different because it, it's meant to look different. And obviously, and if you take resistance, obviously resistance is made to look like that type of that type of like yeah, like 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 Asian culture anime. Like and it's designed to look that way because that's the way they went. And obviously, and it, it looks it looks brilliant and vibrant looking that way. Does that make sense? This with this Clone Wars now looks like cinematic in every way. Um, so for me, I'll love fun to keep going the cinematic way, just because of how beautiful this looks and how much it glides off the page or off the screen even. But but I also wouldn't want to take if they've got a design idea for the next one and it's something different. I wouldn't want them to stop doing that to go back to this. If that makes sense. Yeah, they'll probably choose whatever style fits whatever story they want to tell. I mean, basically, I hope that like, we get more animation, different ones. So I hope they don't get just one more show. I hope we get like maybe two or three new shows going forward. And each each one one could be Clone Wars style, and then one could be like a different artistic style. You know, we've got Disney Plus now, which is going to be crying out for content to stay ahead of the curve, to sort of keep it above the other. Because there's going to be a time you have to choose which streaming services you buy, because there's going to be that many, then they're going to be that expensive. So obviously, Disney Plus is going to want as much content as possible. So like, why not green green light these shows? Get a, two, three Star Wars animated shows a year. They don't have to be connected. You can tell them in three different areas of the saga or not even the saga now but in like the star wars world and then each one will be its own unique style yeah who knows what they have uh ready because yeah with disney plus for a while people were like i'm already i've already gone through everything in the catalog there's got to be more stuff and they pop up with like little behind the scenes like prop masters but they're very short and they've been kind of going down that route sometimes of just once a week kind of things but yeah, they need to add a bit more content to Disney Plus. And I'm not sure if it will be animation just because of, I imagine it's expensive and takes a long time to do, unfortunately. Yeah, no, they're definitely masters of the craft, um, those guys that look some animation. But I mean, it, I was just reading, I don't know how true it is. I saw on social media that the most streamed show in America this year is Clone Wars. So I don't know if that fact's true, but it like that is, I mean, to quote Beyonce, who run the world clones. Um, but um, but I think like an animated show being the top streaming show in the in America, I think says a lot about a, the power of Star Wars and B, like just how beautiful this animation is. That like that's that's ahead of like for this year, ahead of any other Netflix original or anything on Hulu or like do you know what I mean anything on Amazon Prime that's live action and easier for people to consume. And like, obviously, with the stigma for being animation, because there's that stigma that animation is only for kids. But it's the fact that it's number one says that like kids and adults are both watching it, um, which I think is a great, great thing. Um, have you got any closing thoughts about Clone Wars as a whole, Christina? Before we wrap it up, that it uh, it it did a good job telling the story that it needed to tell, and I dang you, Dave Filoni, for making me cry. 
um, not not really. Just that it was just really, really, really good. It was, wasn't it? It was just, like I said, for me, it was it was powerful. It was emotive. It was tragedy all over. Um, but with that sprinkling of hope, that always has. I think just have gone out on the highest of highs. People often joke about like how do you end a series? And like, if you talk to Dexter fans, they talk about that finale of Dexter being like not very good. Um, if you talk to Game of if you talk to Game of Thrones fans, they talk about that last season and that last episode not being very good. But like here with this, we got probably the greatest season ever last, and we got the best story ever as the last arc. Very satisfying in a way that you probably can't even plan or imagine. It's just like lightning in a bottle almost. You know what I mean? Like it only happens once. Um, so something Dave seems very good at, like ending stories, like the Rebel story ended so well, and then this one here, like it's ended like perfectly. So let's hope they give them more things to do in Lucasfilm. Obviously, he seems to have his hands in the Mandalorian quite a lot, based on those making of documentaries on Disney Plus right now. Christina, where can the uh, listeners find you on social media? Uh, you can find me at Christina Morse. Uh, it's Christina with a K and Morse, M-O-R-S-S. Um, I think I'm the only one with my first and last name, so easy to find. Do you want to tell listeners about your podcast, the Closing Credits podcast? Uh, it's a podcast where I'm trying to go through every job title in the credits of TV and movies and interview somebody in that field and try to help educate people into how much work it takes to make their favorite TV show and film. Yeah, so it's a great podcast. Um, anybody who's interested in film should check it out because you get a really cool insights into the industry uh, from people who work in the industry. Um, also people who are looking at maybe how to get into the industry obviously these are professionals who've been in the industry a while but like I've found the ones that have so far been very humble and uh, they do share a lot of information about the hard work and about sort of what you need to be doing in order to sort of try and make it in the film industry um, so definitely check it out as well if, you, if that's something you want to do it's definitely worth listening to do um, as for Star Wars fans um, what do you get out of it uh, do you want to share with the listeners uh, which Star Wars related guests you've had on, Christina? Uh, let's see. I've had Dave Acord, who's worked on, I think, all all the newish Star Wars stuff. So the cartoons, Mandalorian, the new movies, ever since at least episode two. Because he works at Skywalker Sound, doesn't he? Yeah, he's a... Uh, like a re-recording mixer and a bunch of other titles. Um, Gary Widow, who was the co-writer for Rogue One. Gary Reitstrom, he worked on, I think, at least episode one and two, um, re-recording mixing. Awesome. And then, I'm generally you can't tell anything in particular, but have you got any Star Wars guests planned for the future? Uh, Yeah, I've got two. One of them... I can say for sure is uh, Hal Hickel, who's an ILM animation supervisor for like Rogue One and currently for the Mandalorian TV show. See, we're on other things ILM as well, um, like pirates and stuff, or any Marvel movies. Uh, he worked on a couple of the 
Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And he worked on Rango. I don't think he worked on a Marvel movie. Or no, he did, actually. Yeah, he he and John Knoll worked on Iron Man. So that's going to be awesome at the Silver Hollow Pickle then. If you think about his catalogue of you know, work on blockbuster hits, such as Pirates of the Caribbean and Iron Man, obviously. The Star Wars connection as well. I, I'm really not quite listening to that one. It's going to be good. Well, thanks very much for joining us, um, Christina. Uh, anybody wants to pick up on Christina's podcast, it's available on um, iTunes and Spotify, Closing Credits Podcast. Um, I'm be hanging a few episodes, but I've listened to the first five. And like I said, they, they're absolutely brilliant for getting insight into film. And then, like I said, those episodes of the Star Wars people, for Star Wars fans, is you're getting even more information, behind-the-scenes access, which is great. Uh, that's what we love to eat up. Um so yeah, Christina, thank you very much for joining us. Um, obviously, this is the end of Clone Wars, so obviously, thanks for coming on and joining us for the whole final season. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for having me. We'll have to have you back on for uh, annoying me, knowing you, aha, special edition. Aha, yes. If if you're up for that, that would be brilliant. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, thank you for joining me, Christina. Thanks everyone for listening, and may the force be with you. Please follow us on Twitter at Boarsstar. That's at B-O-R-E-S-S-T-A-R and on Instagram and Facebook at Starboards Podcast. You can also reach us on email at starboardspodcast at gmail.com. Starboards Show can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor and wherever podcasts can be found. Please give us a like, subscribe and don't forget to leave a five-star review. May the force be with you.